Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I'm a hospice social worker. And today, my mother is going to graciously share her experience of the 60s and 70s. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) Say hello, Mom. Hello. So, you were born in 1949. Correct. Which would put you at the perfect age to have experienced all that was the 60s and 70s. Yes. So, we were just discussing that when I think of, you know, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm at the end of the Gen X generation. And when I think about the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's all what I've seen on TV. And that includes documentaries and things like that. I mean, I know the harsh realities of terrible things that were happening, but... Because I'm white and because of the places I grew up in and the things I've been exposed to when I, and not, not just me, but many people think back to the 50s, they think of this uh, change from the industrial revolution into people moving to suburbia and having a white picket fence and leave it to beaver, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's everything's wonderful. Of course, nothing was wonderful. No. Things were terrible. But in your mind... White America was this idyllic place, and then it swung slowly as the baby boomers were growing mm-hmm. after World War II. Uh, baby boomers are coming into their adolescence and young adulthood and deciding to hell with all that. I'm going to grow my hair out and be rebellious and, <laughs> and uh, burn our bras. So obviously <laughs> my perspective is skewed because I'm looking back on something that I didn't experience. Yes, you're so lucky you didn't experience it. <laughs> what would you like to know about that glorious time? Well, let's let's start out first by giving a little bit of a background so people understand where you're coming from. As you were growing up through your school age, you moved around a lot. Yes. My so, father, when I was young, and I part of the I, most of it I don't remember because he was in the military he was in the navy mm-hmm. and we were moved about every two years we were never in one place and then when he got out of the navy uh, he got out uh, because my mom had four kids little mm-hmm. kids all by herself and he was gone all the time so and you were the youngest and I was the youngest and I had three older brothers and we were a handful I'm sure <laughs> for a mom to be four of us you know mm-hmm. and uh so my dad got out of the Navy, and he went into the Border Patrol, and then again, we moved every two years. It was very difficult. It was not an easy thing. But that's during that time is when everything kind of changed from the Leave it to Beaver, which it never really was. Right, right. <laughs> and I realize people think that way, really. They really do. Uh, if they watch those old shows... And, and, of course, none of those shows have black people on them, so clearly that was not the experience of black Jack America. <laughs> and, you know, the Jeffersons wasn't until the 70s. So. Yeah, and I didn't grow up. I mean, when we were little, we didn't have a TV. Um, we rented one during the premiere time. That's the only time we had a television. Was it still black and white then? It was black and white. And then when it <clears> went to color, it was, oh, my goodness, that was awesome. How old were you? Do you remember when it was color? Oh, man. Let's see. I must have been (laughs) nine or ten. So you're still pretty young. I was still pretty young, yeah. I was still pretty young. But that was pretty exciting. We went down and rented a color TV. (laughs) We had to take it back, but we rented a color TV. And before that, we listened to the radio shows and... Uh, we didn't sit around like the movies show them all sitting glued to the radio. <laughs> uh, but we had a, it was a console. I remember it had the first TV we had. It was maybe 10 inches. It was black and white. And it was built into a console mm-hmm. with a record player and a radio and the TV. And you pulled the little table out and there was the TV and then there was the radio, and you open another door, and there was the record player. That's what we had for entertainment. Big time. But we weren't allowed to sit around and watch TV or listen to the radio. We got our butts kicked outside <laughs> and said, don't come home until dark. And you lived in a lot of different states during those formative years, right? 
Yeah, most of the time, until I was 10, mm-hmm. I lived up and down the California coast, and uh, mostly Southern California, and Baja, they call it, mm-hmm. in the desert. From Indio, Azusa, Chula Vista, San Diego, Calexico, all down that part of the, the That's country. That's a lot of moving. Yeah, it was. And then you went to the extreme opposite end. We did. We went from the desert up to upstate New York. And um, that was a cultural change because in the desert, you never wore shoes. You never <laughs> you wore sleeveless shirts and shorts. I mean, that's the way it was, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had tans. I mean, we were dark, dark. And then we went upstate New York, although we stopped in states along the way to visit relatives that I never met. That was a shock because my uncles lived on farms. We'd never been on a farm. We were city kids. Mm-hmm. My dad was raised on a farm in Indiana. So, I mean, that's where we stopped. And uh, But I point this out that you lived in far extremes of the country because that suburban idea was really middle America. Right. And near cities. Right. You didn't, there wasn't country. I mean, we didn't have country. We didn't have, I mean, there was, around us, there was country, but we didn't live in the country. We lived in developments. Mm-hmm. And, uh... So the, it was Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> I no, it wasn't Leave it to Beaver. It may have looked like Leave it to Beaver. I mean, because in my later years, of course, I knew it in my younger years, but in my later years, I really found out that it was all a lie. Uh, for looks. Mm-hmm. was very important for my parents. Mm-hmm. Very important. How people perceive them? How people perceive them. And uh, I didn't realize that until later, how important that was to my parents, mm-hmm. especially my mother. But uh, then we moved upstate New York, and a lot of farms around there, but we didn't live on one. Well, we did. We rented a house in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> It was a beautiful farmhouse, and from the time I was little, we always went fishing and that kind of thing. So, I mean, we had a a good life. Do you remember what years you were in New York? We went to New York. I was 10, so that would have been in 59 or 60. I think it's 60. And then we went to, we went up to Messina, and we lived there. That was the longest place we ever lived anywhere. I lived there, we lived there for five years. I was 16 when we moved. It was the most devastating thing I'd ever had to go through. Leaving somewhere when you were 16? Right. Well, not only leaving there because I was 16, leaving there because that's the only place I ever bonded with any friends. Yeah. To this day, I don't bond with people because I moved all my life. And it was always... When I went to, I can't, I think I went to five different high schools. And every time I, I didn't make friends because I couldn't. I knew we would be leaving. Mm-hmm. So I never made friends. That sounds terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but when we lived up, to New, up in New York, we went up New York and I lived there for five years and I made my best friends there. And to this day, they're still my best friends. Mm-hmm. But... I don't hardly talk to them anymore. You know, I, they live on the East Coast and I live on the West Coast. So, uh, so when you were 16, you moved back to Washington? When I was, no, when I was 16, we moved back to California. Hmm. And uh, we moved to Calexico. How did you end up all the way up here in Washington? Well, you live I, with gra- great grandma. Grandma, yeah. Your great grandma, my grandma. My mom's mom. Yeah. She used to live down in California, but mom and her, I mean, mom was raised up here. She was, she was born in Kansas City, Missouri, but she went to school in Bremerton. Hmm. Um, so my grandma lived up here at that point, and the school I went to when I was a senior, the school I went to was in Calexico, and it was not an accredited school. So meaning if I wanted to go to college, they wouldn't accept the credits from that school. Ah. So my mother decided, since my grandmother lived up here, that she would send me up here for my senior year. I see. 
So that's when I came up to Washington. And all this time around you, the 60s are happening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Things are exploding. The 60s, when I, I remember the 60s, I started to remember them when I was, well, we moved to Chula Vista. Okay, that was a lie. We didn't go to uh, Clexico first. We went to Chula Vista first. And my dad was in the Border Patrol. Mm -hmm. So there we were in Chula Vista. And that's when the 60s really, when I remember the 60s, because my brother went in the military. And so when and was And he this? was in Vietnam. So late, this is starting to be mid- Mid-60s, yeah. Okay. I was 16, so 10 and 59, so six years. So it was 65, 66, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. Somewhere. I don't know. I lost a lot of that time because I didn't choose to remember it. And that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a shrinky-dink story. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, that's when my brother went into the military. Mm -hmm. And he was in Vietnam. As a medic. As a medic. Attached to the Marine, the 1st Marine Division. Mm -hmm. And uh, then while he was there, that's when we moved from Chula Vista down to Indio, or Calexico. Mm -hmm. That's when I moved up here. I was in the 10th grade. Yeah. I started, okay, I left New York when I was in the 10th grade. I went to Chula Vista in the 10th grade. I moved to, San, to Calexico in the 11th grade. I moved to here when I was a senior. That's a lot. It is a lot. That's why I didn't form attachments, mm -hmm. because why? Yeah. And, uh, and when did Grandpa have to go to the Watts riots? Oh, that was in, we were in, uh, where were we? We were in Chula Vista? So I just looked up the Watts riots. Or some, I guess, call it the Watts Rebellion. <clears throat> and this was in Los Angeles, uh, 11, August 11th to the 16th of 1965. Mm-hmm. That's when we were in Chula Vista. So. And he also went to the Mississippi. Mississippi riots. Mm-hmm. Was that right after that? I don't remember. I think it was. And he went to these because he was part of the Border Patrol? Yes. So it was kind of like, kind of like being in the National Guard. He was just called up as extra right. help. Yes. Were you aware of any of this stuff going yes. on? Yes. Yes. Did he talk about it? No. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? Well, because um, I think the reason, it's kind of like a Vietnam vet won't talk about Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, he never talked about the Navy because he was a medic in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't talk about his job because of the things he saw in his job. Hmm. And during the riots, it was pretty... I mean, we got snippets of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And But what we saw on the news, he just said it's nothing. It's way worse than way what's worse on the news. that's on the news. You didn't see what went on. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, and things that he didn't want us to be exposed to. And to your knowledge, so. he was not a terrible racist. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> he wasn't on that side of things. No, he just saw things. No, And, you know, I got to say, that's one thing. I'll, it's just a short thing. I'll just bring it up now that my parents, although uh, what the line of work my dad did, mm -hmm. uh, never, ever, we were not brought up with color. Although we were around it. Mm-hmm. We weren't brought up with color, and we weren't brought up with prejudice. It was never allowed in our home. And when and you say you weren't brought up with color, you mean you weren't brought up to see that people were different because of their color. Exactly. I mean, when you cut us, we all <laughs> bled the same, and that's exactly how I felt. Mm -hmm. That's how I was raised. I was raised with that kind of respect, uh, to respect anybody, no matter what color their skin are, doesn't matter if they were handicapped. We had a little color boy that lived down the street, um, African-American, however you want to say it nowadays, mm -hmm. uh, that had, at his little wheelchair, and he had cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. And he used to come by. And I was, I think we lived in Bakersfield or Azusa then. Bakersfield, I think. And um, 
he came down the street and at first it scared me because I hadn't seen him before and I didn't know about how his movements were because he moved sporadically mm. and um, couldn't control his movements and his hands were curled and, you know, and he drooled. I mean, <laughs> it was just, it was sad. And uh, when I went in and told my mom, she took me out and introduced me to him and told me why he did that. And after that, I didn't scare me anymore. I understood he had a problem and there's nothing wrong with him except for his bo physical body wasn't doing what, you know, mm -hmm. and he couldn't speak, you know, he'd grunt, but he couldn't speak, but he understood you and uh, he's very nice. You know, and I remember one time he was going down the street and his wheelchair fell over when he went down on the curb mm -hmm. and we all ran and helped him get up. I mean, it was just no big deal. He was just another kid. But do you feel like, I mean, it seems like from the stories you've told me before, and I'll ask you about some specific ones in a minute, but that do you feel like your family was more of an anomaly or do you feel like you were more, it was the norm of people you were around? You know, I really don't know because I wasn't exposed to any of it. Mm. It wasn't allowed around well, I'm, I'm thinking us. about uh, one of the stories you've talked about is because you like to go dancing a lot when you were in your upper teens and 20s. And that time when you danced with the person of color. Oh, that was when I was in the Air Force. Oh, so you were in your 20s. Yes. That was the first time I was expo ever exposed to real prejudice. Not even when you lived on the border? No. That's amazing to me. No. And it was 90% Hispanic. So but, you, it felt like the experiences you had with Hispanic people or anybody along the border was nothing compared to when you went in the Air Force and no. experienced, <laughs> experienced prejudice against black people. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. It Did was... you have people, Mexican or Hispanic people in the Air Force with you mm. that you remember? You know, not that I remember. I knew there was a few, but I didn't personally know them, you know. And when I went to the NCO club, it was generally uh, black and white. Mm. There wasn't a lot of diversity there. And at that point now, this is only, this would have been only in the early, early 70s. 69. So. 69. Civil 70s. rights had just been a thing. Mm -hmm. You went through that. Yeah. But. When, when civil rights was happening, that was more starting in 64, 65. So you were yeah. still not around black people as I much. Was, well, I was in high school. Mm. When we were up in Messina, mm -hmm. there was one um, black kid, and he was the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Of course, to me, I didn't look at him as being black. He was just a person. He was just a person. And he was just a sweet person, and it's very nice, good personality. But upstate New York, it was all white. Except for him. Except for him. Hmm. And, well, I don't know because he's the only black person up there that I knew, you know, or mm -hmm. personally knew. <clears throat> and I remember I got really mad and, and really upset because I found out that one night he was walking home and a bunch of seniors or teenagers got a hold of him and forced him to drink a bunch of alcohol. And later on, when I was in the military, I found out that he committed suicide because oh. of the treatment that he had gotten throughout his life, which broke my heart because he was the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Bend over backwards for you. Give the shirt off his back for you. Do you remember his name? I do not, sadly. Mm -hmm. I do not remember his name. Um, I wish I did. But, you know, that's another experience that I probably blocked out of my brain <laughs> that I didn't want to remember. But <laughs> it was very sad. Very sad. But you had pretty limited exposure in the early, mid-60s of the major civil rights movements. It was more end of the 60s when you were in the yeah. Air Force. Yeah. And I was shocked. I mean, I right now I can say that I must have lived in a bubble. And I don't know if it's because the our parents raised us or what. Or we were just not exposed to anything. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, but I was oblivious to all that. I mean, it was 
horrific. And when I went in the Air Force, it was just a freaking eye-opener. <laughs> I didn't like it. You know, it made me mad. But I went to the NCO club, and a guy asked me to dance. He happened to be a black guy. I'm dancing. You know? Mm-hmm. It was like when I was in high school and lived in Calexico, we went across the border to dance. Everybody we danced with, the band members, everybody was Mexican. Mm-hmm. I danced. I didn't care. You know, I got a lot of strange look. I couldn't figure out why, but I didn't care. You know, I'm going to do my thing. You do your thing, you know. But in the Air Force, that was a totally different story because when I danced with him, I heard a bunch of oohs and ahs and blah, blah, blah. You know, why are you dancing with him? And, and like, can you think what? about now what it must have taken for him to even ask you? Because you didn't know him, right? Before. No, he was a stranger. So to think about what he had just gone through <clears throat> and whatever his experiences might have been in the last couple of years before that. Yeah. And then to even have the courage to ask a white yeah, girl. I didn't even think about that. That never crossed my mind. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I don't know why that never crossed my mind that he would be feeling odd to ask me to dance. So maybe he didn't. Maybe he was feeling empowered. I don't know, but I got up and danced with him. <laughs> I didn't care. And what happened? I got shunned by some people. I've got I got a lot of questions and dirty looks by some people. But I'm going I don't care. You know. Mm-hmm. I was pretty cocky <laughs> when I was in the Air Force. <laughs> you were past tense? But <laughs> I was raised to be self confident. You know, not be ashamed of who you are and how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um and I wasn't. It didn't bother me one bit that he was black. I didn't even look at him as being black. And and I didn't see him as being black until all these people, oh my God, you dance with a black man. What is your problem? You're white. You should stay with your white color. What were you saying to these people? Like, I'm what going, is wrong with you? Well, I said a lot of things to him that I can't <laughs> say on your podcast. But <laughs> it, I wasn't going to tolerate it because that's not who I was. If they want to be that way, that's their choice. But I wasn't going to go there with them. Hmm. I'd just shrug my shoulders and say, he's a good dancer. <laughs> and he's a nice guy. So what's his color got to do with any of that? Yeah. And I still feel that way to this day. I've always been raised that way. And I hopefully I raised you that way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know it's in this day and age is a very difficult thing. Well, I, I think you did. I think one of the things that kind of changed... Is just more exposure to people's empowerment to discuss how they feel. So when I grew up thinking there was no color like that, I think it was well-intentioned. I think a better understanding I have now is that people want you to see their color to recognize that it's not a bad thing. Right. And I think it's the same intentions. Yeah. But it's... It's that they don't want it necessarily whitewashed or they want to, um, they want to be seen as, you know, that's part of their identity. And if you say you don't see it, then you're not seeing part of Mm -hmm. them, which I totally understand now. But at the time when, you know, you were raising me that way, I I definitely don't think that was your intention. It was that everyone's equal and it shouldn't matter. Right. Well, we had that discussion once when you were in high school about the Native Americans in your school. Mm-hmm. Which there really wasn't that many. But you had a few, and some people were picking on them mm-hmm. and calling them names. I must have blocked this out because well, I totally don't remember. Did I go after that, them? No, we had that discussion. Well, I don't know if you went after them. I know you defended everybody that was... That's what I mean. I remembered being the bully of bullies. but Yeah, you were. But you defended the underdog. If somebody was picking on somebody, you just would not tolerate it. Mm-hmm. And... And that could have been one of the circumstances you came home and we had a discussion about it. Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And people were picking on them and calling I mean, them. We, we live right next to a reservation. So. Right. And calling them names. And, and we had a long discussion about that. You know. So. And of course, you know, now that it's been years and I've gotten a lot more education, I know a lot more about what that history looks like. Mm-hmm. And I still don't know everything, but... I definitely have a better understanding of where people would not want to be not seen for their identity, their ethnic or nationality or whatever. 
identity. Well, it's the same in religion. We were taught, we were never baptized because our parents wanted us to pick our own religion and do what we felt we wanted to, we needed to do for us. Your parents were revolutionaries, I think. Um, they might have been, but my mom different. was Southern Baptist and my dad was Roman Catholic. <laughs> so his side of the family didn't like her and her side of the family didn't like him. I mean, but they did after a while, you know. His side never really came around except for his brothers and sisters. But um, his mom never cared for my mom because she had a child with a, you know, a different husband. You Your know, oldest so brother. My oldest brother, yeah. yeah. But uh, they really never... You know, and you guys weren't raised like that. He was just your brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't until my mother passed that my brother made me aware aware of it. Yeah, which was another story in itself. <laughs> but as far as color, you say I was raised with no color. I say that raised with no color. I say that only because it's the only way I know how to say it. No, I, I definitely understand what, where you're coming from, is that your parents taught you that it doesn't matter what color people are, they're equal, right. and they shouldn't be lesser than. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I said, you cut them, they're going to bleed the same color you do. Yeah, it's all about intent, I really think. I mean, yeah. I, I had a little bit of a discussion on a different podcast about PC culture and how that's changed over, the, over time, because <clears throat> PC culture started out as trying to be inclusive and not harmful and it's turned into I can't tolerate anything so I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And that goes the same way with, you know, I don't see color. Well, I I understand now why that phrase might be upsetting, but the intent behind it is equality. Right. Right. So... It has nothing to do with color. <laughs> right. It has to do with equality. Right. That you're we're all the same. Like I clearly see you're tanner than me. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't <laughs> see that. I'm not colorblind. <laughs> I'm jealous that you have a better tan than I do. I'm definitely jealous of that. <laughs> as as I did with my best friend Casey when we were in elementary yeah. school. I always wished I had a better tan like she did. Yeah. And that never changed your perception of her. No. I didn't think of it as any different until I heard someone else say something. The only time I got almost violent <laughs> about race was with your grandmother, your father's mother. She, unbeknownst to me all those years, <laughs> was prejudiced. I never knew that. She never showed her colors until you were about five. So to speak. Showed so her colors. <laughs> yeah. And the, what did she actually say? Because I know what you said. She used a derogatory term that is not allowed in my house or around me at all. Mm-hmm. And was telling me that she had, you came home and said something to me about a black person. Did yeah. I say the N-word? Uh, no, you did not say that. You, you might, you know, you might have. Because I wouldn't have known any better at five. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have. I would have just been you repeating. You came and told me your conversation with your Nana. And I never said a word to you. I didn't, well, we talked about it a little bit, but... I didn't get upset with you or anything, but I went directly to your Nana and was in her face and said, if you ever say anything like that to my daughter again about any race or nationality, you will never say her, see her again. Where was my father at this point? Was he out driving? He was working. Oh. Yeah, he was working. Yeah. I was livid. I was absolutely livid. I did not want those thoughts in your brain. Because sometimes once they sneak in, mm -hmm. they can't go away. They can't undo themselves. Well, you must have had a pretty good foundation because I don't, I never had any <laughs> thought like that afterwards. Well, it wasn't, she never mentioned it again, ever. I know when I was 15 and we went to my uncle's house and he used that word and I... Was not happy. At that point, I was willing to, I could stand up for myself and say, absolutely not. Do not say that word. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, you know, people say, I mean, they call each other that all the time. And for some reason, it's not derogatory to them, the black people to speak to, uh, to each other like that. Mm -hmm. um, but. But Chuck's not black. Chuck is not black. In, uh, but I don't know where he got his mentality, but it didn't come from our house. 
So, but, you know, who knows? I don't know where that came from. Anyway, during the 60s, the flower power, we get back to that. Yeah. Did you ever burn your bra? Uh, no, but I didn't wear one for a long time. What? Yeah. It was odd getting used to. Not wearing a bra? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when it's cold outside. <laughs> and <clears throat> he wore t-shirts or sh- light-colored shirts or whatever. I mean, you know, it's obviously you're not wearing a bra. And I was so, so, I was, <laughs> I guess I was kind of a prude. Because I was raised, I was self-conscious, very self-conscious of it. Yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> Finally, I had to wear a bra because I couldn't stand it anymore. And it wasn't comfortable not yeah. to wear a bra. So. <laughs> but I did my time being a hippie. You know, I did What my did time. you do when you were a hippie? Well, what don't you remember when you were a hippie? <laughs> there's a lot I don't remember, but there's a lot of things I do remember that I probably shouldn't remember. And like a certain event that you attended. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember that, so I don't talk about it, you know. But it's a badge of honor. No, it's not. It's a to, badge of to shame. To people that were Gen Xers. I don't care. It's a badge of shame. I mean, it was something that, it was like a mosh pit of. I mean, it was filthy and disgusting, but. Yeah. But you, I mean, in some part of your brain heard all that music. Yeah, hearing the music and. I mean, we're talking about Woodstock here, obviously. Yes, we're talking Woodstock. But it was... Not everyone's parents can say they went to Woodstock, whether they remember it or not. Yeah, well... I tell you the truth, I wish I would have never gone. I wish I would have been one of those parents that never heard about it, that heard about it and never went. Truthfully. Why? I just do. So what I'm hearing you say is you wish you hadn't gone to Woodstock and you don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, there's really nothing to talk about that I remember talking about. Mm -hmm. I remember the insanity of all the people. That's all. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And and deep in the recesses of my mind, I remember the music. But that's about it. So there's really nothing to say about it. You know? Yeah. What else do you remember about... The transition of the 60s and 70s and <laughs> disco. Disco? Oh, my God. Disco <clears throat> was a whole nother thing. It was funny because when we grew up dancing, we danced together. We didn't dance apart like they progressively mm-hmm. went to. I mean, we started to, when I was in junior high, there was the dance called, of course, there was the pony. There was the dog. There was the... Swim. There was mashed potatoes. There was all those dances that we did apart, but we slow danced together. Mm-hmm. You know, and the jitterbug was gone by then. But I had learned to dance from my mom and dad because they were dancers. So you learned the earlier music. Dances. Yes, I was brought up on all that. And speaking of you being a weirdo mm-hmm. and not liking Elvis and the Beatles, which were the <laughs> biggest thing at the time. You know, I liked Elvis's music. I just could not stand looking at him. Because <laughs> of his face? Yeah. Like making faces? Yeah. And the Beatles, I just never understood the big to-do about them. They just... I can't believe that just came out I know. Mouth. I mean, everybody just went was going crazy. I'm going, what's the big deal? <laughs> I just... <laughs> I never understood it. Who did you like? I liked all kinds of music. I mean, when I was... I don't know. We were living in Calexico. Um, this friend of my father's who was in the Border Patrol took me to see the first concert I'd ever been to, and that was the Everly Brothers. So you were more Oh, into, no, the Righteous Brothers. You were more into the music of your parents. Oh, well, I liked the music of the parents, but I was into the Moody Blues. I was into... I was... I liked... I don't know if you could call it... I can't call it head music because that seems to be. I mean, the Beatles started doing that kind of stuff in the sixty in the later. I liked the Doors. I liked Queen. I liked uh, Foreigner. I liked the old rock and roll. Mm -hmm. The popular music of the time. 
Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> like except for the beetles, the trogs. I mean, <laughs> you know, trogs. the birds, mm-hmm. the animals, the animals. Yeah, all those. I liked all those. I still like all those because it brings back fond memories for me to listen to some of them. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll mellow bring yellow, Donovan. mellow yellow. Yeah, people per purple people eater. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All that, you know, I liked those songs. Yeah. I liked all that music. I never got into, I never got into heavy metal music. I never got into heavy rock because I didn't like the treble. There's too much treble and it not on my nerves. I can't stay in a room where there's high treble. I have so to leave. So what you're saying is it's all about that bass? It's all about the bass, <laughs> baby. I do like the bass, but no, I'm just not into the screaming Mm-hmm. I like music that I can understand the words. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've always been that way. But anyway, I remember, okay, I can tell you about a hippie time. Okay. I was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I had very long hair. I had rose-colored glasses. <laughs> I had, I had, I had. You literally my, had rose-colored I glasses. I literally had rose-colored glasses. I had my. Bell bottoms? I did have bell bottoms. I had a lot of bell bottoms. I had... Dirty hippie. My, I had my pea coat or my army jacket, mm-hmm. my green jacket. Man, you really were a hippie. Damn. I was a hippie. Walked down the street in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, just <laughs> mellow. <laughs> <laughs> Being a hippie. I might have even had a flower wreath on my hair. I don't remember, <laughs> but that was a good time where nothing in the world bothered me. You know what I mean? Was that before the Air Force? No, I was in the Air Force. <laughs> uh, Classic. No, I was in the Air Force at that time. Mm-hmm. It was on a weekend, I'm sure. We all, a bunch of us went into Cherry Hill. Now, Cherry Hill, New Jersey was a big hippie town mm-hmm. back east. You know. So you were in Vietnam was still going on or Oh yeah. Still going on. Well the Tet Offensive was in sixty eight and I was in the military in late sixty nine, seventy, seventy one. Right at the end of the Tet Offensive. Mm -hmm. Which was one of the big things. I know you stayed over stateside, but Yeah. What what was the feeling in the military at that time? Well, being in the Air Force, we were all called paper pushers. Mm-hmm. You know, we, the only part. The Chair of, Force. Huh? The, the Chair Force, yeah. <laughs> um, I sorry, was, sorry, Air Force veterans. <laughs> I was ATC atta- attached to MAC. Mm-hmm. So I was basically a paper pusher because I was in recruiting. I wasn't in the general. Mm-hmm. And I was on a MAC base in they got locked down and we didn't, which kind of pissed them off because ATC didn't have to do what Mac did. So, wait a minute though, wasn't Air there Tactical the, Air Tactical Command. Wasn't there a draft going on in Vietnam? There was a draft going on and in you Vietnam. Were still Your father recruiting? was drafted. Yeah. How did that work? Tell me about that. Oh, we went. I mean, how do you convince people to sign up when they're being drafted? <laughs> well, that was kind of right. At, your dad was drafted. And that was kind of right at the end of the draft. So, no, people, I don't think they were being drafted at that point. I can't remember. Look up when the draft ended. I can't remember. He went in in what, 68? He went in in 68, yeah. I'll look it up. Keep talking. He got out in 71. Mm -hmm. He was in for two years, and he was in Vietnam. And I can't remember. The draft ended, I think, 69 Mm -hmm. or 70 can't exactly remember when the draft ended. Well, they're talking about the draft in in 69, the draft lottery. But talk about, while I'm finishing looking this up, talk about what, uh, I don't know, maybe it was only 69 that there was a draft. That's weird. Two lottery. I don't know. Anyway, so how are they telling you that you're able to Recruit people if they're being drafted or that was around the time of the draft. Well, in 70, they weren't being drafted. But a lot of them already had been. Right, but there was a lot that weren't. We went out to high schools. Oh. And 
uh, we're talking about education opportunities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to different events. We went to the... Did they have the GI Bill by then? You know, I don't remember. I don't remember either. Continue. I don't remember. But um, we went to high schools. We went to... We did job fairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to Atlantic City to a big educational convention. Actually, it was called the Catholic Educational Convention, which was pretty funny. And uh, we had a booth there. I mean, we just ran around and talked to people. I was never in a recruiter's office. I was on base. Oh, yeah. J.I. Bill started in the World War II time, so. I was in the... I wasn't a recruiter like you think of recruiters now when they're in an office. Mm-hmm. I mean... When I went in, I went to an, a recruiting office. I, you know, but I was on base mm-hmm. in an office, and I did stats. Oh, I see. We had stat boards. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a quota. <laughs> Seriously, we had a quota when we had to go when we were in there. Mm-hmm. And but we did a lot of paperwork. How did you feel about the Vietnam War if you were this hippie at the same time? When I went in. And your brother. Well, there's a specific reason why I joined the military. Mm -hmm. And he was it. Your brother in in the war. Jeff, yeah. Who was actually in Vietnam. He was actually in Vietnam. And he wrote a letter home saying that he had fallen off the back of the truck. And I had a good job in San Diego. That's when we were living in San Diego. I had a good job. And, you know, I was having a good time. And he wrote a letter home. My brother wasn't much of a writer you know, it was, mm-hmm. hi, how are you? I'm fine, goodbye. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Which all my parents cared about. But he wrote letter home saying that he was in the hospital. Now, mind you, he's a medic. Mm-hmm. He was in the hospital because he'd fallen off the back of a truck and broke his finger. We did not believe him. Mm-hmm. At all. Yeah. We don't know why. Sound very believable. Right. We don't know why we didn't believe him, but I especially didn't believe him. I went straight down after that. I think it was like a day after that. Went to the recruiter's office. Because my father would never let me join the Navy, the Marines, or the Army. But he never said anything about the Air Force? Nope. So I went right down and joined the Air Force. <laughs> Did you think they were going to send you over there? I mean, what was your... No, I just... No, because I was at this little Greek restaurant where I ate every single day. It's where I went to lunch from work. It was mm-hmm. right down the street. I walked down there and the owner was awesome. We were good friends and... He cooked me all this wonderful Greek food, authentic Greek food. I didn't have to eat from the menu, which was pretty nice. (laughs) Anyway, there was these two guys in there sitting in the booth behind me. And we had just gotten this letter from my brother. And I was concerned, you know. And they're sitting there laughing and joking about how they got out of the draft. Mm. They were talking about being uh, conscientious objectors. Mm -hmm. And just joking about it. Ha ha. I didn't have to go. I lied. Blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't think that pissed me off? All of my, well, besides Gary, my dad, my oldest brother, my youngest brother fought for our country. Mm-hmm. Gary couldn't because he had medical reasons why he couldn't go. Right, right. He wanted to, but he couldn't. And great-grandma. Great-grandma was in the military, yes. Great-grandpa was in the military. Our whole family was military. These guys were sitting back there joking, and I thought, you son of a guns, you. That's made me mad. So I got up and walked out and went to the recruiter's office. Hmm. Bam. Just like that. <clears throat> Not a second thought. Yeah. I was going to support my family and the country and do what I needed to do for our country. And then while so. you're doing that, you're walking down the street in rose-colored glasses and bell-bottoms. Pretty much, yeah. I'm trying to reconcile those two I things. know. It's, it's a toughie. I mean, obviously, things are more complicated. But that was in the huge boom of the hippies. Right. And things are more complicated than Burning your draft card and and leaving for Canada and, you know. People were really leaving for Canada? Oh, yeah. Your grandma wanted to take your dad to Canada because he was the sole surviving son. He was her only son. Mm -hmm. She was devastated when he got drafted. She wanted to run away. Well, and ultimately it killed him because yeah. Agent Orange. Thanks. Yeah. Agent Orange. But anyway, <laughs> he didn't go. Yeah. You know. So, yeah. That's the way that happened. Hmm. That's when I was introduced to race. Mm, yeah. That's when I was introduced to language that I 
never used in my life. <laughs> now it's a secondary word. Well, not anymore, but you know. Well, when you're in the military, that it's like every other word. Yep. It's always shocked me that people used it with such ease. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a big culture shock for me. I realized what a bubble I had been born in and raised in, and my parents were so protective of me. Mm-hmm. You know, my eyes got open to a lot of things, a lot of things I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a shock. I think everybody should go in the military. <laughs> what do you think about once you got introduced to all those things? Were you having like existential crises or anything? Were you no, just like, no? how could this be the world that I have been living in and not known? Well, I kind of thought that a little bit because I was 18. <laughs> so, you know, I had I wasn't naive to the world, but... I was naive to racism, Mm -hmm. for sure, you know, and I was naive to people using such foul language every, (laughs) all the time. It was like those two things I was naive to, Mm -hmm. you know, the rest of it didn't bother me. I learned very quickly about racism, but I still felt the way I felt. It didn't change who I was. It It made me resentful of the people that did. Interesting. I resented them. I didn't like them. Hmm. People that were racist. Because I, in my office, my sergeant was black. And one of the nicest guys I ever knew, mm-hmm. Sylvester, was black. And he was African-American. He was black, black. Mm-hmm. And he was the sweetest man. I loved him dearly. And uh, so was my sergeant, was black. So mm-hmm. I worked with black people. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see them as black. <clears throat> yeah, but other people around you. But you other people around me did. I mean, I mean, if I hugged Sylvester because I just liked him and I just hugged him, it was like, oh my God, how can you do that? And I just pretty much basically flipped him off. <laughs> say, oh my God, how can you feel that way? Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I realize we've been talking for quite a while. And I, I know. Do, I do want to... I love your stories, of course, but I do want to touch on some other things because you lived through some pretty big world events like John F. Kennedy getting shot. Right. Which Bobby Kennedy and Bobby. Yeah. And the moon landing. Yep. These are all world affecting events. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about those a little bit? How where you know, do you remember where you were when Kennedy got shot? I was in the I believe I was in the eighth grade. And everybody was leaning out the school windows. And everybody was going by in the buses saying, the president got shot, the president got shot. Well, to me, when you're in the eighth grade, you don't think about that kind of stuff. It's not so devastating. I mean, it's bad that he got shot, but I didn't have a real big concept of what that meant. It didn't feel like 9-11, for example. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I would have been an adult, it would have been a whole different story, I'm sure, because my mother was absolutely devastated. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people. I mean, everybody was devastated. But I was a kid. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think of it that way, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember all the events. They showed them on the TV. They showed Lee Harvey Oswald. They showed Ruby. They showed all of that. I mean, we saw it on the TV. Mm-hmm. But as a kid. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I apologize, I did not want to leave out Martin Luther King Jr. getting shot. Oh, yeah. Assassinated, which was, that you was, would have been older. To me, <clears throat> that was worse than Kennedy because you're right, I was older. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't believe that. I read a shock. Yeah. I read a book when I was, oh, it's when I came back here, so it must have been in 70. I was going to be a smart ass. You only read one book? <laughs> well... <laughs> Being dyslexic, I didn't read a lot of books. I know, I'm just teasing you. So this book, it was a big book with small print. Five Smooth Stones? Yes. If anybody ever chanced to find that book and read it, if you were raised like I would, this book still to this day pisses me off. I started reading it, but I only got like one chapter in. I'm what? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'll keep reading it. I will read it as you know soon as you do for your advanced to... directives and power of attorney. Okay. You know how hard it was for me? I could not put that book down. 
And the more I read it, the angrier I got with people. Mm-hmm. With white people. <laughs> By the time I was in done with it, I was so mad at white people, I wanted to go treat them the same way as they treated these people. How old were you? Just 18. No. <laughs> no, no. I was back here, so I was out of the military, so I was in... I was 23, I think. 20, yeah. I think I was 22 or 23. Mm -hmm. You're recommending five smooth stones. I'm recommending five smooth stones for anybody that's got any guts to read it. It's a long book. It is very, it's very thick. It's, I think it's a thousand pages or something like that. Or 800 and some odd pages. Mm -hmm. But being raised the way I was raised, it... Can you give a short summary of kind of what it's about? Well, it's basically, it's in Mississippi. It's about this uh, black kid that was going to college. He was one of the first black kids going to college. His girlfriend was white. Is this based on a true story? Yes. Okay. The, he was white. It was, she was white with red hair. <laughs> and back then, when this book was, well, the story was told, mm-hmm. you never, there was not allowed a black and white it's couple. It's probably illegal at that time. Yeah, I don't know what it was. But it was a horrific story about how he was in college. They fell in love. Uh, they had to keep it secret, but people found out. They got stoned in the street. It was... It still makes me so mad. And that the way they were treated, and, and I can't even talk about it. It makes me so mad still. <laughs> so, so Martin Luther King Jr. was pretty impactful. That was very impactful for me. I couldn't understand why anybody would do that. I mean, he was a man of peace. Mm-hmm. He had no desire to cause any harm. Of course, back then, that see, there was the Black Panthers back then. Mm-hmm. And they caused a lot of problem because they didn't want the peace. No matter how much they tried to preach the peace, they did not want peace. Yeah. And that, I mean, the same year, just a few months later, is when Robert Kennedy died. Robert Kennedy got, got shot. shot right after that because... Yeah. <clears throat> and Malcolm X got shot, too. Yeah. It wasn't just no, there peaceful was a, people. No. A lot of people were getting killed. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that assassinations seemed so commonplace in the 60s when now I can't even imagine... An assassination. I mean, I realize I lived through assassination attempts of Ronald Reagan or whatever, yeah. but even that seems so far removed from bam, 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 people sh- just getting shot. Mm-hmm. And it's all because of their views. Yeah. You know? I mean, I know that happens around the world. They were I'm mad not. at Kennedy. Yeah. Because of Vietnam and God knows what else. Mm-hmm. They were mad at Martin Luther King because he was preaching peace. And that time they were desegregation was coming up real strong Mm -hmm. and you know as far as schools and that kind of thing and equality you know and And robert kennedy robert kennedy was yep he was he was idolized i mean they he would have been president and they knew it he was guaranteed to be president Mm -hmm. because he was just like his brother might have been better than his brother you know so they shot him which devastated my mother again that was only four years later. I know. And we watched it on TV when he got shot in real time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because he was in a, a garage. Oh, there's a hotel, right? A hotel garage, yeah. Going to his car. Of course, the TV. I thought it was in the kitchen. Was it in the garage? No, it was, it was. You probably remember more than I do. Well, what my little mind remembers. And, of course, the camera's following him, trying to interview him. And, bam, he got shot right there. That's insane. You know. They didn't have, like they do now, where <laughs> five they can, second yeah, delay. <laughs> there was no five-second delay. It was bam, right there, and he was dead. I mean, it was horrible. It was just horrible. So what did it feel like to live in the world? I mean, that it was scary. I have to remind myself when, when things happen today, I look back on times like that and remind myself that although it feels terrible right now in 2018, that times have been worse. The Civil War time was worse than this. <laughs> right. The but 60s were worse than this. It was different. How is it different? Well, because now, it's scarier now because, well, maybe it was to adults then, too. Hmm. I don't know. We never locked our doors. Even after that? Mm-mm. 
We didn't lock our doors. We didn't lock our cars. We, you know, the kids were sent out to play. They didn't come home till dark. You know, we went out in the morning. We came home when it was dinner time. What do you think changed? Uh, well, first of all, media. Having been fed information 24-7, there was mass media back then, like there is now, it would have probably been about the same. But we didn't hear about all that. Right. We didn't. We weren't exposed to it every day, twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. If we would have been, yes, we would have locked our doors. We would have barred the windows. You know, we would have built more bomb shelters. I don't know. <laughs> locked our cars. You know, we all would have been scared. It's mm-hmm. just like everybody is now. They're scared twenty four hours a day mm-hmm. because of media. Yeah, and not because it's not happening. Because it is. Yeah, it and was back happening then, back then. It was happening back then. Right. You just didn't hear about every little thing all right. the time. Because it wasn't the media like it is now. Right. You heard about big national news right. and mostly local news probably. Yeah. No, we I don't even think we heard a lot of local <clears throat> news except for on the TV. But we, you know, we didn't hear, I mean, the big events like the Watts and Mississippi and the big events we heard about. Mm-hmm. But the little murders every day. Yeah. Yeah. Little car wrecks every day, the little people, the little stories like getting killed by a drunk driver. We didn't hear Our that. kids getting abducted. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Rapes. You, all, you also, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. What? You were here, you were in Washington in the 70s. Yeah. In the 60s. Mm-hmm. You had long brown hair parted in the middle. I did. I was, you could have been abducted by Ted Bundy. Well, I lived in the same area he did. Well, you know. I didn't live in Seattle area. I was out in the boonies. You were further north. In Goldbar. <laughs> but Salton. you could have. I could have, but I didn't. But you no. probably weren't thinking about it because... No, you didn't hear about you it. You weren't scared about it all the time. No, because we weren't, we weren't barraged by it. I mean, our brain was not filled, pounded every day with all the horrible things going on in the world. Mm-hmm. We weren't exposed to it like you are now. Yeah. So that's why we weren't afraid. What about more positive things like the moon landing? Well, that was awesome. You do, know, when do. they showed it on TV, when he hopped out of the, the first steps he made on the moon and planted a flag, that was, everybody in the house stood up and cheered. I mean, you could hear everybody yelling and screaming everywhere. So you don't think they faked the moon landing? <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure they didn't fake the moon landing. But uh. yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. That was pretty good. That was one of the really good events that happened. Among a lot of other things. There was a lot of good things. I don't remember a lot of them, but, you know, you always, your brain always retains the bad stuff because it's so devastating. Mm -hmm. You don't particularly remember the really good stuff, you know. And then you lived into, and we'll get into this in another podcast, I'm only wanted to focus on the kind of 50s and 60s change as things were happening about 45s to, <clears throat> and albums to CDs and <sighs> yeah I mean yeah that's why I want to have more uh, variants of generations I want to try to have uh, the greatest generation and a baby boomer and a Gen Xer and a millennial and a whatever the next one all is all together in the same room all together to really talk about how I mean technology is really the main driver of the difference yeah. And how very different everyone's. Well, it's like the news, you know, it's like the crimes and all that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't exposed to all that because it wasn't available. <clears throat> yeah. But to have lived through it, I mean, if you were born in 2000, you've never known a world without that kind of technology. Mm-mm. Yeah, there's new stuff coming, but I remember a world with rotary phones. Mm-hmm. I lived through that generation gap, that end of Gen X. And beginning of Gen Y, that middle ground, mm-hmm. the Xennials, the I think they're calling them, <laughs> which is that 10-year technology boom where right in our teen years, everything started to really explode. Computers, right. personal computers and phones and things like that. So yeah. that'll be another podcast. But mm. any final thoughts on the 50s and 60s? Oh, <coughs> I'm glad I lived through them. <laughs> you mean that you survived them? <laughs> survived them, yes. No, I, I appreciate them. I wouldn't want to be a young person now. Yeah. You're exposed to way too much, way beyond what anybody should be exposed to. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's probably a naive thing to say, but I wouldn't wish this media blast on anybody. Yeah. That's why I don't listen to it anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for giving me a blast of the past. Oh, and you're welcome. I'm sorry we talked so long. No, that's okay. We can talk all day. That's what's great. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's good to remember and it's good to have your memories down on record because someday you'll be dead. That's right. And I want to be able to go back and listen to them. So now it's permanently on record. Oh, no. Via technology. Thanks, technology. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You didn't do your podcast thing. You're right. I didn't. I apologize, people. If you have comments on this, please email us at... Uh, contact at, I don't even know what my email is, uh, contact at willallbedeadpodcast.com, Facebook at Someday Will All Be Dead, and on Twitter at Someday Dead PC. Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>